This message is provided by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church, and this message was recorded during one of our regular Sunday morning services. Well, today Pastor Jason is in part two of his Walk Through Acts series in a sermon he's entitled, The Promise and the Ascension. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and today we're looking at verses 4 through 11. Here's Jason. Turn with me. Instead of the book of Acts, let's turn a couple chapters before that to Luke 24. The last chapter of Luke. And as we just sang, our risen Lord and Savior is holy, holy, holy. And and, and, and times in His Word we see that. And there are scenes and circumstances that happen in God's Word where, where people are changed, right? I think that there's times that, and uh, things that happen to you and I that dramatically impact us and change us. If I were to ask you guys, where were you on September 11th, 2001? No doubt each of you, okay, maybe some of you kids are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But the rest of us, all of you would know where you were, right? And, and, and what happened. And what you were doing. And, and, and that had a dramatic impact. Not only on each of us individually, but on us as a nation. And as dramatic as that was, I, I don't believe it holds a candle with what we're going to see today. Because what we're going to see today is we're going to see, as I've entitled this, oh, and maybe I need to find that. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> a walk through Acts, Jesus at work, that, that's the entire series. But, but today is, is the promise and the ascension. And what we're going to see today is, is we're going to see something dramatic unfold in such a way that, that it changes history. It changes the known world at that time. That, that these apostles turn the world upside down. And a lot of that has to do with this dramatic encounter. But this dramatic encounter actually goes back, and, and, and it's not just the ascension, which is huge, but it actually goes before that point. And in order for us to really get a, a good picture of, of what's going on, I, I thought, man, I think we need to start with, with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So that's where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna start, and I'm not gonna go through the, the entire recant of of this depiction in, in Scripture, because I think most of us are pretty familiar with it, right? Yeah, Jesus is crucified, He's he's raised, and then some people hear different things about that maybe He appeared to this person, appeared to that person, and, and for whatever reason, these two disciples, they leave Jerusalem, and in my mind, I think they're a little depressed. I, I think they're still kind of doubting whether or not the accounts of His resurrection are true because they haven't seen him and and so jesus unknowingly to them appears right and he's walking with them and he's asking them well what are you guys talking about what what is this and they're what what haven't you heard what what haven't you heard of jesus of nazareth and what happened and how and how we thought that he was the coming one and and instead he was crucified and now some have said that he's that he's actually been resurrected and and they kind of recant all this to the risen one. And they're clueless because they, for whatever reason, they couldn't see him. 
I, I don't know how that works, but that's the way that Jesus had it play out, right? And, and, and look what happens in, in verse 25 after they've been talking. And he says this, and, and he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Again, I, I, we looked at last week, this, this, in the Greek, this under, this little word that means it is necessary, right? And I said it's a theme, not just in Luke, but in, in throughout the book of Acts. And that's what Jesus says. He says, it is necessary. What does He do though? He takes them back to the Word. He takes them back to the Old Testament. And He says, didn't you know by, this is what the prophets had spoken of. But He's not finished yet because look at what He does in 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself and all the Scriptures. And yet they didn't know that it was Himself. (laughs) Just a crazy picture. Why is He doing this? To teach them. And maybe not to so much rely upon what they see, but what they know to be true in God's Word, right? Which is what we need to rely on. Going on, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. Okay, even before the ascension, wouldn't you think this is kind of a big deal in these two disciples' lives? Do you think that maybe this particular occasion and what happened changed them? Oh, I would think. I would think this dramatically rocked their lives and changed them from then on. And you know what? We see it. Because they were just talking about how late it is and how they were going to stop for the night. And, and look, at, look at what they do. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while He was speaking to us on the road, while He was explaining what? The Scriptures to us. He wasn't just reading the Scripture. He was explaining to... You could say He was preaching. And they got up that very hour. That very hour right then. And returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they, meaning the two, began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Why? Because that's pointing back to his crucifixion and how he died for them. While they were telling these things, this is just grace upon grace. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. I can understand. It just appears. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet while they could, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> they gave, they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets 
and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, pointing back to the Scriptures, back to the Old Testament. That it was, it was necessary for this to happen. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. I mean, I, I could preach a long time on this passage. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And look at this. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. That was their response. Acts doesn't give us that, that part of the picture. That their response was worship, was adoration. And it didn't just stop there. At the time of his ascension, that's when they began to worship him. But it kept going continually as they went to the temple. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. For how clearly it unfolds the picture of our redemption. The wonderful work of our risen Lord and Savior, you, Lord Jesus. We pray that right now, as we continue to look at your word, that you would open our hearts. That we would see you as we should see you, as the holy, righteous Redeemer of our souls. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Acts. We're still in the introduction. The, the actual account, what they would call the narrative, doesn't start till we get to verse 12 and we're not going to get there till next week. But this is all good. Because this is all God's Word, and this is all preemptive, and this is all very foundational. We're going to look at verses 4 to 11 this morning. Let me read them for you, as you follow along. Acts 1, verses 4 to 11. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside, beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So this then is the, is the promise of the, 
of of the Holy Spirit and the Ascension. That that's what we're going to be looking at today. And what we're going to see is these three items that today in verses four to eleven in Acts chapter one we're going to see the the final words of Jesus and, and really his final act, which tell us of the power needed, the work to be done, and finally the the picture, the vivid picture that, that gives us motivation, that gave them motivation so much so that they went all out to the to the entire world and turned it upside down. I think in your in, in your bulletins that there's also a, an outline, and it's very similar. It still breaks into these these three chunks, these three sections. And the first section is the promise, which is where the power is, comes from, verses 4 to 5. The kingdom and the witnesses, which has to do with the work. First, the kingdom, verses 6 to 7. The witnesses in verse 8, that's what they are to become, what we are to become. And then as part of, the, of this picture, this vivid picture, we see the ascension in verses 9 to 10 and, and the angel's rebuke in verse 11. And really what we see right from the start in these verses, throughout these verses, is that Jesus is, is the focus. He's at the center of what's going on. Notice that He's the one that commands. He's the one that speaks. He's the one that promises. And ultimately then He's the one that ascends. And, and we do see the reactions by, by the apostles, but really Jesus is, is at focus. So let's, let's look at these verses and, and see what the Lord has for us today in understanding these things. Verse 4, Gathering them together, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, You heard of from Me. This then is, is, is the promise which relates to, to the power. And, and, and what does it say first? It says that He gathered them. It's not just the idea that, that He gathered for no reason. It's not even the, the idea that he gathered just to speak to them. But, but actually in the Greek, it's, it, it's more confined than that. It's about fellowship. It's literally about eating salt with one another. That you're, you know, adding salt onto your meal. That they are gathering to, to eat at the same table. And the focus is on fellowship. And, and I believe this is, this is twofold. Jesus was trying to show them the reality that, that He's real, going back to the fish, right? That, that we saw in Luke at the end. Notice too that He commands them. He, he doesn't give them the option. He says, you, you guys need to stay here. And, he, and you, need to, you need to wait. Which is kind of weird because hasn't Jesus been teaching them? And training them? And discipling them? And haven't they been with God Almighty on the earth and seen Him do some miraculous things? In fact, hadn't they done some miraculous things? Aren't they ready to go already? Wouldn't you think? Man, I would. I would. Man, you guys are good. You've already done this. You've already casted out demons. You've done this. You've done that. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, you need to wait. And, and I believe what the Lord is trying to teach us is no matter how much preparation, no matter how much training they had received, it still wasn't enough. And it's the same for you and I. You can go to seminary, you can go to Bible schools, you can do this and you can do that, and you can walk away with a great big knowledge, 
But if you're not depending upon the Holy Spirit, relying on Him, you're going to fall into doing things in your own strength. And the apostles weren't going to accomplish nearly what they accomplished because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 14, 17, The Spirit abides with you, meaning now the Spirit abides with you, and will be in you. There's a transition that, that, that goes on with the, with the Holy Spirit and the way that He relates with believers. In the Old Testament, it, it was a short period of time when the Holy Spirit came upon someone. And, and that's, the, that's the usage. That's the way that they phrased it. He came upon someone with the idea, the implication that He was then going to leave at some point. Why? Because it wasn't an indwelling. It wasn't a permanent thing. But now as we look into the, into the New Testament, into the church things switch. Things change. And now there's a sense of permanency. That the Holy Spirit would be permanently indwelling them wherever they go and walking in unity with Him. Submitting to Him that the world would be changed. And this idea of the promise of the Holy Spirit, this isn't new. They had heard this before. Ezekiel 26, 25-27 says this, Then I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. Speaking of the new covenant, speaking of what Jesus is now talking about. Going on to verse 5. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Actually, ten days from now. I think we're all familiar with baptism, right? Because we're a Baptist church. So is baptism important? Yes. Of course it is. It's a command by our Lord. But that's not what's in focus here. The water baptism of of John is definitely significant, but that's not what is in focus. Jesus Everything that he's pushing towards is towards the Holy Spirit. So yes, the, the Greek word is baptizo. It is to submerge, and that is why we submerge. It isn't why we sprinkle. Why? Because it, there's significance in that picture. It's not salvific. It doesn't save you. What it does is it pictures an inward reality of what happened when you were saved, right? You went from being a dead person to being raised, to coming to a new life. And that's what happens is you put somebody under, and as they come up, as we saw last week, by God's wonderful grace. So, so yes, baptism is important. But there's a nuance in, in, in the second time that we see baptism. And there it's not so much the idea of to put under, to, under the water to, to immerse, but when the Spirit is the agent or the means by which the baptism is happening, then it, then it, it nuances into to being joined with, to being united with. And we see this in Scripture. That we are united in Christ. Right? The Holy Spirit is something that that we don't need to ask for. Right? I mean, notice what Jesus says to them. He doesn't say, if you ask for this to happen. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you guys for, for what you think. <laughs> because chances are you might think you're already prepared. And so the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit does to the believer. The believer is passive in the process. 
And, and Jesus didn't tell His disciples to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that it might come upon them. It wasn't something the disciples should somehow manipulate to happen. It was going to happen according to the will and the promise of the Father. Notice too here, it's not commanded. Because that would make it seem like they're the ones that have to somehow do this. Do we have commands relating to the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. We're commanded in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're commanded in Galatians that we're to walk in the Spirit. But nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that happens at salvation. Now, yet these early apostles and believers, they're, they're told to wait. Why is that? Well, because this is a transitional time. And that's why I said that the book of Acts at times, you, you have to be careful the way that you interpret it. This is a transitional time. That with the birth of the church, things change. In the present age that we live in now, baptism by Christ is through the agency of the Holy Spirit and it takes place at a believer's conversion. At the moment every believer places their faith and confidence in Christ, at that moment they are then baptized into the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit being placed into Christ. That's, that's in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20, 12, 13, Romans 8. It's, it's lots of places in, in the Word. So I think maybe what you could think of it is, as someone would baptize someone, as, as Eric and Shane put those ones down last week and brought them up, that in, in essence, it's, it's like Jesus Christ using the Holy Spirit and placing the, the believer in him. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes and resides by God's wonderful grace in the believer forever. So a question would be if someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, Romans 8 would say that they're not a believer. Now the idea of the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit coming, for you and I, we don't think of them as synonymous, as those two things happening together. But... For an Old Testament saint, or let's say the disciples that grew up under the teaching of God's Word in the Old Testament, they, they would see them as one and the same. That when the Holy Spirit is coming, that then that is going to usher in the kingdom. And so what we see happening next is, is just a normal, natural question on the disciples or the apostles' side in verse 6. And this gets into the work and away from just the promise. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? You see, in the disciples' mind, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the promised kingdom were closely associated. They were linked to, to each other. In fact, turn with me to Isaiah 32. And, and we could have gone to Ezekiel, we could have gone to Joel, we could have gone to Zechariah. Isaiah chapter 32, and we'll look at verses 15 and 16. Isaiah 32, verses 15 and 16, where we see both of these happening. Actually, we, we see an earthly kingdom. We see the Holy Spirit descending, and we see a, a righteous ruling. 
Isaiah 32, 15 and 16, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fertile field and the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. You see, 13 is talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And they knew that that was going to happen. And they also knew that at some time, the nation of Israel and its land was going to be restored. And they also knew that there was a coming kingdom which would have a king that would reign eternally in righteousness. And so they, they tie all those together. And some have said that they had a misunderstanding of the kingdom and that's why Jesus answers the way that He does. But I don't believe they misunderstood the kingdom. What they misunderstood was the timing of the kingdom. When it was going to happen. And so look at, look at Jesus' response. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. He, he doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, no, you're wrong on this kingdom. This kingdom is actually not a physical kingdom at all. This kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. As some people would say, no, that, that isn't what Jesus says at all. He doesn't correct them on their understanding of the kingdom. He only corrects them on the timing. To let them know, no, this isn't the time. Perhaps the, the apostles thought, oh my, we're, we're just bring out the, cha- the, the big chairs and we're just going to sit back and we get to reign now forever. And our job is done. Our work is done. And Jesus is saying, no, your work's just beginning. <laughs> and, and, and at some point this is going to happen. But not now. Yes, the land and the blessing of Israel will one day be restored, but the timing is in the Father's hands. He, he even says this about Himself in Mark 13, 32, that Jesus Himself didn't even know the time. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. And then he goes on and, and he tells them what the work is that they're to do. Why he's given them the Spirit. It's not just for their own benefit. It's greater than that. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So here we see the reason for the empowering, the reason for the promise that they would be His witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is one who affirms or attests. A testifier. Someone who witnesses or who bears a divine message. And actually in the Greek, it, 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 it goes deeper. And, and it's where we get our word martyr from. And it's those who give up their lives for, for the sake of, of something religious. And it's... And it's morphed into our understanding of, of, of our Christian faith, those that give up their lives for the sake of Christ. Because that is what happens with, with most of these apostles, right? As things get more and more crazy. And this verse really gives us an outline of the book, as I stated last week, that the Gospel spreads from where? From Jerusalem. That's the first seven chapters, one to seven. To Judea and Samaria... That's spreading out a little bit more. And that's chapters 8 to 12. And then finally, throughout the rest of the known Roman world at that time, which is 13 to 28. But I want us to recognize that this is still our mission. And that our Jerusalem is where? Temecula. That, that's the close proximity of where we live. And, and these are the people that we should be reaching, our neighbors and those within Temecula, close to us. 
And, and this too was not new to be a witness. This isn't something that the apostles like, oh, I never heard that one before. What do you mean be a witness? It's all about us and the nation of Israel, right? And maybe that was another reason why their response about the kingdom was, was not answered the way that maybe they thought. Because it says this in Isaiah 49.6. This is what God says to His nation with Isaiah penning it. It is too small a thing. Isaiah 49.6. This is a cool passage of Scripture from the Old Testament to see exactly as we saw in the life of David when he was going to slay Goliath. Remember what he said? So that the whole world would know. David got it. But the nation of Israel by themselves, for the most part, they missed it over and over and over again. Even though Isaiah records it like this. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's what God's focus was. That was the reason why He chose the nation of Israel. And that is the reason why RBC exists. To honor Christ, to glorify Him, and to be His witnesses. Then look what he does next. The, the teaching time is, is, is basically over except for this last little picture that he wants to possibly cement into their minds. You know, because they didn't have television. Videos. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. You know what? One of the neatest things that, that I've gathered... the actually the last two weeks, thinking about this passage, praying over it, spending time, is a much better understanding of, of the ascension. I think at times I only think in terms of the resurrection. And I don't think about the significance of the ascension. And yet the reality is the ascension is key. It's huge. So much so that Jesus says in, in 16.7 that if He didn't ascend, you know what would happen? the Holy Spirit would not have come. It had to happen in order for His church to be born and for His church to grow. It was non-negotiable. It was necessary. And notice here too that throughout the 40 days of Jesus' resurrected appearances to His disciples, time and time again He appears quite plainly. He eats with them. He has them touch His body. But here He gives them a glimpse of His greatness. He's taken back to heaven in such a way that they must have been presented with a true picture of His incredible glory and His majesty. Don't miss the significance even of the cloud. I know we tend to think of it, oh, that's just a cool way for Christ to rise. An elevator wouldn't go that high. <laughs> no. The, the significance of a cloud was the presence and glory of God going back to the Old Testament, right? Right? Where do we see this? We, we see the cloud leading them through the desert, traveling from Egypt to Canaan and in such places as Exodus 13. We, we see it resting above the Mosaic tabernacle, showing filling Solomon's temple. And then in, in the New Testament, we see it at the Transfiguration in Luke 9, 34-36. Listen to this. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. Huh, a cloud. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. What? Okay, it's not like they're driving cars and they're afraid they're going to go and, 
run into someone. Why would you be scared if a cloud came? Because it's not just a normal cloud. It shows His glory. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. I truly don't understand, I don't believe that we understand the significance of the ascension and, and how incredible it is. And, and it is meant to give us motivation that not only did, did sin not conquer him and death not conquer him, not only did he raise, but he actually ascended on high and now he sit, sit at the right hand of the Father, right? And he continues his work there. And look at what happens next. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Truly, amen. He is coming. And he is going to come exactly the same way that he left. But what's the significance with two and, and, and two men? Is that what this is? No, if, if we went back to Luke 24, we, we'd see that two men were described there in dazzling clothes. And I, I think that's more the picture. That these guys were dazzling. Why? Because they were angels. And they appeared as men. And two is significant because in, in, in that culture, in order for you to have a, a valid witness, a credible witness, there needed to be two. But this word, why are you gazing, gazing? At times we could just think of that as just simple curiosity, right? You're just gazing, looking at something, maybe trying to figure this out. No, no, it has much deeper. It, it suggests a, a stunned, lost gaze. As, you know, a deer caught in the headlights where the deer doesn't know what to do. He just freezes. Can't do anything now. That, that's what these guys were doing. They were stunned. And this question isn't, isn't just a question, it's a rebuke. And this becomes their motivation because they're saying, hey, stop hoping and spacing out. You haven't lost Jesus. He gave you a task to do. He gave you a work. He, he's told you about how you're going to be able to accomplish this work with only the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you guys need to get busy. Don't lose sight of, of the significance of what, of what happened. But don't just stay here lost because he could come back at any moment. And, and that's the picture. And this becomes our motivation. And no one knows the time of his return. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 16, 15. In fact, let's, let's turn there. Revelation 16, 15. And I'll explain this because it seems a little strange. <laughs> Behold, I am coming like a thief. 
Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. What? Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he won't walk naked and, and, and then be shameful. The idea is that don't live in such a way that you will have regret that you've squandered your life. So that when Jesus comes back, that's what he's saying, so when I come back, you'll have shame. Because you kept saying, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow. And you weren't ready. Instead, we're to live faithfully before him. So that when I return, you will be found faithful. And isn't that our heart's cry? Isn't that what we should desire? That we would be faithful. Listen, I, I worked among a people who, who lived in a, in a shame-based society. That's what motivated everything that they did. And, and, and there's a, a point to where it, it was off. <laughs> because they were doing it for selfish reasons. But here our motivation is, is, can be God-honoring. That, that we don't want to waste our lives, Right? that we want to give Him glory and honor. When He returns, we want to hear Him say, well done, my faithful servant. So, wrapping things up, what have we seen? We've seen the power that only comes through the Holy Spirit, which Christ promised to His church. We've seen the work that He's given us to do not just the apostles, but that extends all the way to us now. And that work is to be His witnesses. And finally, we've seen this vivid picture of, of His ascension. And, and now we, we can kind of look at that vicariously, right, through Scripture. That's why He gave it to us, so that we could be reminded. And the way that He ascended, He's going to come back. And that should motivate us to live faithfully before Him. So what do you do with this? What what can you take with you this week and, and seek the Lord on? And I decided to break it into two with little nuances on it. The first is to meditate on the promise of the Holy Spirit this week. I think at times we we, we tend to forget about the Holy Spirit. And the Lord, what? He gave us the Holy Spirit as a promise and He said it's so important that you guys need to wait. Yes, I've got a job for you, but you can't run off and do this yet. And in the same way, we need to recognize how important the Holy Spirit is. So, the question that I had, and, and you can add any other questions you want, do I truly recognize the power of the Holy Spirit living in me? Do I really truly recognize the power that's in me? Not in some weird transubstantiation kind of way, <laughs> but, but as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as the guarantee, the seal that we have, and the power of God that resurrected Christ is that same power in us. And am I willing to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to share the gospel this week? Number two, meditate on the ascension of Christ this week. 
Do I truly understand the significance of the ascension? Do you? Have you thought about it? And how does the promise of Christ's return in the same way that He ascended impact me? Do I live more intentionally or am I more motivated because of that? Or have I never even thought about it? Let's ask the Lord to to change our minds, to renew our minds. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, for the power of Your Word, for, for the reminder of Your Word, of the promise of the Holy Spirit and how He, how he came in the beginning and the building of the church and how He is still with us and dwelling those that know You as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I, I pray that if there is anyone here that does not know You as their Lord and Savior, that does not understand why Christ came, that has not trusted in You as the One who bore their sins on the cross so that they don't have to spend forever paying the penalty for their sins in hell, Lord, that, that they would come and talk with one of us after the service and that You would just continue to guide and lead more and more people to Yourself, that more might enter in into the kingdom and enjoy the kingdom with us forever. We pray that you would write your word upon our hearts, that we would leave here changed, that we would consider your your Holy Spirit more this week, as well as your wonderful ascension and the picture that that is to us and the motivation that is to us, that we are to be busy about your work in order to bring you glory and honor. And it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.